Hosanna, um, it means basically save us. Um, it is a word that um, appears in the text that we're going to read in a few minutes. Um, and we know we sing that song a good bit, and I think it's important to know what that word means, and it fits into what we're talking about tonight. Um, it comes from a Hebrew. Hebrew word that sounds um, a lot like Hosanna, and then in the Greek they just decided just to make it Hosanna, and then in the English we said, hey, they got it right the first time, let's call it Hosanna again. Um, it comes from uh, Psalms, and it's basically them saying, we, we need a Savior, we need someone to save us, and it's a cry that's basically us, or you know, man screaming to God, save us. We need help, save us, please. And um, I was reading, kind of re- reading up on it a little bit, and um, uh, John Piper talks about how that word has, has kind of evolved in, in meaning um, to go from uh, in the Old Testament where they're saying, save us, and then when they're screaming it about Jesus, they're saying, like, this is the one who's come to save us. And how it kind of shifted from this is what we need to this is the one who's going to do it, and it becomes like a a very much like a, a rejoicing, you know, kind of, of thing. He likened it to if you, um, if you don't know how to swim and you fall in the deep end of a pool, um, the Old Testament Hosanna is when you're like, hey, save me, somebody come and save me. And the, the, the Hosanna as applied to Jesus and the meaning it's kind of come into now would be more that when you see the lifeguard coming to you, then that's the kind of Hosanna that we scream to Jesus. We see him as the one who is answering our cries for salvation. And so when, uh, when we sing that and we're singing Hosanna in the highest, we're saying Jesus is the one who has been sent from on high to save us, the promised one. And um, in Matthew 21, we see the story that we're, we see where Palm Sunday gets its name. So if you would, if you would turn there and if you would stand up um, as we read this together tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 21. I know y'all are freaking out. Like, why are we standing up? Uh, it's okay. Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry um, of Jesus into Jerusalem, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, put on them their cloaks, and, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, uh, sorry, on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, 
Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who, who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. All right, you can be seated. Here's the scene that um, is, is unfolding, and it's one that, that people were looking for for a long time. This is, was one of the, one of the prophecies um, about the Messiah that comes from the book of Zechariah. And so um, Jesus is, is intentionally fulfilling the prophecies you know, to let people know, you know exactly who he is and what he's come to do. And so as things begin to, to unfold, you know, he, he comes in and he's on, this, on the donkey and you know, whatever, and, and they start, you know, laying their, their, their coats out on the ground and stuff like that, and they're cutting branches off of trees and, and laying those down. And, and the, the laying out the cloaks, that was a, a sign of respect and believing that he was the, the Davidic king that had been promised to them. And um, palm branches were, were symbols of Jewish victory. Of, of the, it was a national pride, you know, kind of thing. And so, like, everything that's going on here, they're basically... I'm saying, like, this is our king. We're going we're gonna to prepare the way for him. Um, and we're going to, uh, this is like a rally. And, and you, if we kind of read between the lines, I mean, this is an exciting scene for them. You know, here's, here's this, this entire Jewish, you know, community who has their entire lives heard that about all that God had done in their past and how he had promised this Savior that would come and, and someone would come and save them. And all their cries of save us, save us, save us, that was going to be answered one day, and this is how you were going to know. And then here they are watching these things unfold, and, and so they're just reacting to what's going on. And they're like, this is the guy. This is, he's going to be the one to help us overturn all this Roman oppression. And, um, you know, because here they are, you know, they're in Jerusalem, which is, you know, Jewish, but it was Roman turf. And so there are Roman guards and centurions and stuff around. And, and so they're like, no, this is all about to change. Everything... Everything is about to change. And the, like the, I was trying to think about it. The only thing I can liken it to is, is some of the scenes from when, like, when President Obama, you know, would go to some of these rallies and people were just crying, you know. And, and uh, there was like this one, this one interview that they kept playing on the radio or whatever. And this guy who's like, thank you, t- thank you for taking time out of your day. Oh, gracious. He, he says, oh, gracious God, but not to Obama, to God, but thanking God that President Obama would come and speak to them, and, and people were just in, in tears and just going crazy, and that's the closest thing I, I think I've seen to maybe what was going on here. Here's everything they had put their hopes and their dreams in. This was happening, and so their only response is that here is Hosanna in the highest. He's the, here's the one who has come to answer um, all of our cries for salvation. And so Jesus comes in and causes this big stir and and I think it's, it's so easy for us to be critical of what's going on because we like to look at the response and just how, like the, how Jews have interacted with Jesus and their opinions of him and say, yeah, but they just didn't get it. Yeah, they just didn't get it. But I, I think that got more than, more than we like to say sometimes. Because you look at the events of, of, of Holy Week, you know, and here's the triumphal entry and everything's great, and it seems like it just kind of goes downhill, you know, and let the wheels just kind of come off. And then eventually that's why the, all the disciples scatter and there's just all this confusion and all this whatever. Because they really thought he was going to ride in on this donkey 
and he was going to somehow like overturn everything that was going on, and he was going to uh, bring Israel to to the point where they were the baddest nation on the planet. I mean, they, he was going to be this great military uh, governmental leader. And so for them, this was this was just the beginning. I mean, it was only going to go up. And so they were correct in in the sense that Jesus, like, like here comes the king. And this is the king who's going to, he's going to save, and he's going to rule, he's going to reign, he's going to bring victory, but it just wasn't in the way that they thought. Because he's a different kind of king, and he's over a different kind of kingdom. And so we have to look at the events of Holy Week not as kind of going downhill, but as really just beginning to ramp up. And so we're going to look at a few things tonight that, are, that make Jesus the king, a different kind of king, and the kingdom of heaven a different kind of kingdom. So we're going to jump around in the scriptures a little bit, and so I uh, hope that you're uh, along for the ride. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, you can just flip back a few pages. One of the many things I learned um, while I was in Israel is, is how... Um, how literal and concrete um, a first-century Jewish mindset would have been. Um, like they were not figurative at all. Like they were, they were very, very literal. And so, um, like when we went to the to the the Wailing Wall, where um, where they go to pray, which is the most holy uh, spot in in the whole world uh, in Judaism. Um, as they are there and they are praying, um, you you see. Um, you see their, their literal approach to Scripture uh, lived out because they'll have, like in Deuteronomy 6, when it talks about, you know, the Lord, is, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and, and all your might. And it talks about rap, like binding it to your arm, binding it to your forehead, writing it on your doorposts. You know, all those things it talks about, they're very literal. So they have, it's wrapped on their arms, literally, and it's strapped to their foreheads in a, in a box, literally. And um, there are, are some who, you know, it says don't cut the corners of your hair. They don't cut the corners of your hair, and that's why their curls come down. I mean, it's, it's as concrete as you can possibly be. And I was behind this, this father who was teaching his son how to do this stuff. And so literally Deuteronomy 6 where it says, like, tell your kids about this all the time. There's a father, and he's teaching the boy how to do this stuff. I mean, it's, it's absolutely literal. And so when they, when they were taught their entire lives what the Messiah was going to do, that he was going to come and he was going to save Israel— and he was going to, like all the things he was going to do, they immediately thought military, government, like a king, a literal king. But Jesus was a different kind of king. In Matthew chapter 4, we see uh, the, kind of the first glimpse of what's going on. Look at 4.17. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, that's, that's the summation of what Jesus began to preach and to teach, and that was his message was repent, which means to turn, because there's a new kingdom that is available. And that would, I mean, that would be the, the first point, is that this new kingdom and this new king, this was something that is now available to everyone. You didn't have a whole lot of choice about who the king was or, you know, whatever. Like kingdoms were, it was always imposed on you, whether either by birth 
or then if the like when Assyria came in and took over, I mean, you had no choice. Um, but this this is a different, a completely different kind of kingdom that he's talking about. And I guess the the easiest way to like elaborate on that is that um, when you were born, and when I was born, we were born into basically the kingdom of self, like we talked about last week, and. And in the kingdom of self, okay, or, or my kingdom, as maybe I'll just say that, my kingdom, um, I do what I want. I, I do whatever makes me happy because in my kingdom, I am the king. And everyone else needs to recognize that I'm the king. And so whatever makes me happy, whatever I want to do, whatever I don't want to do, um, that is the thing because I'm the king and what I say goes. And every one of us are born, in, and that's kind of the mindset that we have. And that's what drives us forward, and that's where the, all that, that selfish ambition and that vanity and you know, all this stuff comes from. And so what Jesus is saying when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's not saying, okay, um, instead of Rome, we have this new kingdom. Okay? You know, he's not saying you have to worry about Babylonia or Syria or anywhere. He's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the kingdom of God is available to you as opposed to the kingdom of self. It wasn't literal kingdoms. We're talking spiritual kingdoms. And so what he's saying is that it is now available to you. It was not available previously. That's why you needed a Messiah. That's why you shouted Hosanna, even though and to some who were saying save us, it was, it was about government or whatever, um, what they were really needing to be saved from was from the kingdom of themselves, because in the kingdom of self, your king is a jerk. You know, your king has issues. And that's like what I think so much of growing in the Lord is about as we begin to realize, like, man, I'm a bad king. And here's Jesus saying, look, turn from that, because the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. At hand means it's, it's near. Near means it's available, that it's time, that he is now opening up the opportunity to be a part of a different kind of kingdom under a different kind of king. See, the kingdom of God is, is not something that we, we don't build it. It always bothers me when people talk about kingdom building, you know, and we're going to just build the kingdom, working for the kingdom, and advancing the kingdom. It's, who are you to advance the kingdom of God? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't need us to advance it. He doesn't need us to build it. He's saying this is now available to you. The kingdom of God is something we step into like a, like a river. And so he's saying, turn from your kingdom, the kingdom of self, and now you can be a part of my kingdom where I am the king. And that changes absolutely everything. And so that's the first reason why he's a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom this is because we were, in, we were trapped in a kingdom where we were the king, and now he's saying, okay, this is now open to you. But it, it doesn't stop there, and it's good that it doesn't stop there, because that doesn't probably make a whole lot of sense until we look at the next point. Turn to the book of John, chapter 3. So we're born into the kingdom of ourselves, okay, into my kingdom. And, and my whole life, I've been seeking my kingdom first. And Jesus comes along with this message and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that you worried about under your kingdom, 
I'm going to take care of all that stuff. So here's this kingdom that's now available through Jesus, the king, because he's the only one who says when you can be a part of his kingdom and when you can't. The thing about this kingdom is it is a kingdom of love. That would be the second point. His kingdom is a kingdom of love. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We're not talking about a kingdom of military force, a kingdom of power, about a kingdom of anything, of any kind of, of earthly gain. This is a kingdom that is characterized by love, and the reason it is characterized by love is that the character of the king determines what life is like in that kingdom. You can look all through history. You can watch any movie that has a king in it, and that principle is proven true. Watch Braveheart, okay? Watch any, anything that has a king, and when it's a good king, it's good in the land. And when the king is evil, it is there difficult times. You read the, all through the Old Testament, you read the history of, of Israel and the history of Judah, and when they had godly kings who sought the Lord, there was a great amount of favor on them. And when they had evil kings, it was bad times. You watch the difference between King Saul and King David. And the difference between King Solomon when he was doing great and King Solomon when he wasn't doing so great. So if God is love, then that means that our king is all love. And so life in this new kingdom that has been made available to us is a kingdom of love because... It's defined by the character of the king. Now, this says that God loved the world, sent his son to save and not to condemn. So when Jesus comes in and everybody's singing Hosanna, Hosanna, I say singing because we sing it, but let's say they're shouting it or chanting it or whatever. Um, When they do that, they're thinking save in one sense. Jesus is coming to save in a different sense. Now, we can look at this through two ways. If we look at it from the perspective of the kingdom of ourselves, we think that, that okay, if Jesus is going to save me and he's going to be my king and he is love, then that means everything's got to be awesome all the time. But see, love doesn't, doesn't say that. There's no promises in God's word that, um, that say that, that life in the kingdom of God is all roses and flowers and birds chirping and everything's fine. What he is promising is that he'll always be there and he'll always be in control because sometimes love looks like discipline. Right, parents? Yeah, sometimes it does look like discipline. Sometimes love means confronting. Sometimes love means telling the truth even when it's hard. Love oftentimes means denying yourself. Love does mean having to say you're sorry. But the, the guarantee in this new kingdom is that it is a kingdom of love. That everything that happens is, in, is being controlled by the king, and it is for the good of those in his kingdom. Always, always, always. And so when we're seeking his kingdom first, we, that sits a little bit better. 
Doesn't mean everything's easy. Doesn't mean we don't have questions and bad days and things that we hate and just whatever. But in this kingdom, it makes a little more sense. In the kingdom of self, we don't like it at all. So we try and take control and we like being the king. And the thing is, you have these two kingdoms and there's this weird tension because we have this, oh, when it was just our kingdom, we had no choice. We were stuck. And now Jesus is saying this kingdom is available, but he's like a lot of times we'll use these circles that overlap and we kind of live where these two, in the overlap of the two circles. And so we kind of have this back and forthness to our lives a lot of the time. Jesus is saying, look, seek my kingdom first. And sometimes we're like, absolutely, I'm seeking his kingdom first. But a lot of times when that doesn't go the way we want it to, we begin to go back and to seek our own kingdom and try to be the king again. And it's so exhausting going back and forth. It just, it wears us out spiritually and emotionally and whatever. But what's awesome is that he, he never leaves. He never changes. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and that describes the kingdom of God. Patient, kind, no record of wrongs. I mean, read it. That's what life is like in his kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's funny, if you read um, in, uh, in Luke, I forget exactly where it is. You have James and John, the, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them. And so they're, they're like on their way, and Jesus uh, tells them to go. And, uh, and they, they go to this like Samaritan village, and Samaritan's Jews didn't get along at all. And um, this, like he wants the Samaritans to like take care of them a little bit, like prepare a place for them, and they won't do it. So the sons of thunder are like, um, dude, you want to just call down fire from heaven and smoke them? Just wipe them out? And it just says that Jesus rebuked them. I would love to know exactly what he told them. I mean, some footnotes have some hints or whatever, but... I mean, these guys, they were like his disciples who went everywhere with him, saw everything he did, heard everything he said, and they, they just didn't really get it. Hosanna in the highest meant something different to them. Because they were wanting to just smoke them and wipe them out. And Jesus was all about love and compassion. And even in that story, you see the difference between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of love and of God. They didn't get it. And as Holy Week unfolds and things begin to, to go like really, really wrong, 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 and then they find themselves on that Friday and their rabbi has been killed and they don't know what to do, that's a hard thing. It's got to be a hard thing. When the, the one who was going to save everything and make everything better, you just watched him die right in front of you. But he's a different kind of king in a different kind of kingdom. Turn to, uh, turn to Luke chapter 9. My first point was that the, it was a new kind of kingdom that was available. It's not imposed, not forced. Something that was inaccessible is now accessible. My second point is it was a kingdom of love. The third point is that in this kingdom, uh, the king, he says, be like me. Be exactly like me which is so different. You know, you usually think king, kingdom, there's hierarchy, there's I'm better than you, I'm over you, all this kind of stuff. And don't, don't get me wrong, Jesus is he's better than me. 
okay? And he's over me. But he has this relational approach with his disciples. That was cool. Um, with his disciples and with every, everybody else. And it's this open invitation to not only like, be in his presence, which is big enough to be in the presence of the king, but he wants a relationship that is so close that we are able to imitate him in every way. Jesus says, be just like me. That doesn't happen in a normal kingdom. That is very unique to the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke 9, 23. Says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, okay, and that's language used by a rabbi as far as disciples wanting to follow him. He says, if anybody wants to follow me, which means live in my shadow and imitate everything I do, um, try to be exactly like me in every possible way. Okay? If, anybody, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He says, look, if... If, look back at verse 24. I mean, it's, it's the two kingdoms exactly. For whoever would save his life, my kingdom, will lose it. Whoever loses his life, okay, giving up your kingship and your weak little kingdom, um, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It says, if you want to come after me, this is what it's, it's going to take. But in my kingdom, I want you to come after me, and I want you to be just like me. And actually, Jesus goes so far as to guarantee that that can happen. Because after his resurrection, and after he's been around for a little while, he goes into heaven so that the Spirit of God can come, and the indwelling Spirit of God guarantees that this is possible for us. So in our kingdom, our king not only is all about love, so everything that happens within his kingdom is him lovingly making it happen or allowing it to happen and making good come from terrible things and, and reshaping all of life. Not only that, he says, I want you to be just like me, and, I, I want, and, and you can't do that, basically. He said, I want you to come after me, and I want you to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me, but you can't do that, so I'm going to need you to lose your life for my sake, and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you to enable that to happen. I can't imagine an earthly king, one who would want that, but two who could do that. So that was the thing. As Jesus was coming through, see, other, other people in history had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey and were like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. It had happened before. They had seen it before. And they, they were killed. It happened to Jesus. And he was killed. Now part of what made Jesus different from the other ones was, this is the guy who calms the sea. You know? This is the guy who drives demons out of people and helps blind people see again and, and heals those who were born crippled. At, at, you know? and, and this is like he's the one who teaches with authority and he's the one who controls nature. And this dude on the donkey is different from the other dudes on the donkeys. And it's cool because this king is just different than every other king. 
One, no king would do that. Two, no king could do that. But being one of his kids, sitting at his table, having a house um, as a part of, of his property, and then him putting his spirit inside of you so that you could be just like, I mean, you won't find that. This kingdom is available to us. This kingdom is all love. And in this kingdom, the king says, be like me. I'll guarantee you. I'll make it happen. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross every day. So every day has got to be about the will of the Father at any cost. No matter what it looks like in your day, you want the will of the Father to be done. And you got to follow me. You got to go to work and you got to live a life just like I would. You have to imitate me down to the in, like the smallest detail. Do that, and your life will be lost, but you will gain. That's a good king. That's not normal. Then you add, you, like you take that, and all that. And I mean, and I would love to be able to stop there and just like let's have a big pep rally or whatever. Um, and there are a lot more points I can make, but I just want to make one more um, that I th- hopefully will help us look at the coming week a little bit differently. Um, turn to Mark chapter 10. It's a kingdom that is available. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom where the king says, be like me. Lastly, it's a kingdom that came at a, at a price. It's a very simple verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I'm in the wrong book. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Give his life as a ransom. See, the problem is whenever um, you and I were under the kingdom of ourselves, um, you don't leave that kingdom. You can't leave that kingdom. There has to be a price paid for that to happen. And this verse and all kinds of verses throughout the New Testament basically say that the price that was paid was Jesus' life. So not only is he saying this kingdom is available and that this kingdom is all about love and that I want you to be like me so much that I'll put my spirit in you to make it happen, he's also saying, and I will pay the price in order to set you free from the bondage of that king. Because this king over here, the kingdom of self, you're enslaved to that. Jesus says, I, I can get you out. See, what king would do that? What king would say, I'll, I'll die so you can be a part of this kingdom, this available kingdom, this amazing kingdom. One of the things, and uh, I don't know, I might talk about this a little more next week. Um, when uh, 
And, and I, you know, I've heard this before. I just never connected the dots until I was in Israel and we were talking about wedding customs. And um, basically what would happen is like a, a, a guy would see a young lady um, around town or whatever and uh, around the village and um, he'd say, hey, I think I want to marry her. And so um, he'd go home and he'd tell his dad and she would go talk to her dad and they would sit down and they would negotiate the price. And that sounds really barbaric, doesn't it? Um, but the thing is, I mean, in that culture, uh, the females around the house, just like the males, but I mean, every, people worked. You know, I mean, it was, I have a friend who always jokes that he had, the only reason he has kid, he had kids is so that he wouldn't have to cut the grass, you know? And, um, but like kids then, I mean, that was work, that was your workforce. And that's how, the family put food on the table and stuff. And so when, when a father uh, has a son and his son gets married, then that father gains a worker, basically. But when a father has a daughter, he's losing a worker. And so it wasn't, you know, one of those... Uh, it, it's a little weird. Okay, I'll say it. Um, so anyway, they would sit down and they would negotiate a price. And then um, the you'd have the, the groom and the, the bride. And what's weird is, okay, so it's totally arranged. They don't know each other. Um, and so they would sit down at a table, and there would be a cup of wine on the table. And the groom would drink the cup and put it on the table. And then the bride would pick up the same cup, and she would drink from it. And that was the proposal. And I've heard, that, I've heard that before, never thought about it. And I was like, huh, drinking wine from a common cup. That's two parties agreeing to the price to be paid for that marriage to happen. Maybe when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and they all drank wine from a common cup, maybe there was a little more symbolism there going on than we realized. It was Jesus saying, I'm willing to pay this price in order for you to be my bride. So Jesus says, I'm willing to pay the ransom price in order for you to step into the river of my kingdom, of love and of power, and to help you learn to destroy the kingdom of self and to seek my kingdom first. came at a huge price. That's so much of what this week we are looking toward and re- realizing and talking about in our community groups and, and why next Sunday is like, you know, just so, in so many ways the pinnacle. And so while Holy Week may look like a downhill plunge, and to all of, of those in that Jewish community, and as confused as the disciples were and all this kind of stuff, they may have seen the wheels coming off, but on this side of the cross, we see it just ramping up, that the triumphal entry was just the beginning. And we celebrate our king first and foremost. A lot of times we focus on the benefits of living in his kingdom. I think sometimes we tend to forget who really deserves the credit for that. And so I hope that this 
maybe sets a good tone for you this week, but I think sometimes it's hard for us to, under, to think about living in a kingdom because we live in the U.S., we've never been there. Man, we start singing songs about God being the king of our hearts and, and all that kind of stuff and his character and that authority. That's, that's got to strike some really amazing chords inside of us. And so the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing a little bit more, and it's going to have everything to do with what we just talked about because I think it's really, really important um, that we understand that the progression of Holy Week, even though it's hard to talk about crucifixion and all that kind of stuff, like, he got it done because he's our king. So let me pray for us, and we're just going to sing. It's, all, it's, it's going to be good. Y'all stand up with me. Let me just pray for us. Father, we, um, we're humbled. God, they, that the Father would send the Son. Got to to change things so radically for our lives. What an insult to you for us to build these little kingdoms in our minds and our hearts. But while we were sinners and while that's what we were doing, you came and you died for us. You drank from that cup willingly to pay the price, to give us access to your amazing kingdom of love and of power and of goodness and of grace. You empower our, our every breath. We love you for it, Father. And we help us to respond, God, to these truths tonight, whether that's singing or praying or just thinking along these lines. Now prepare us as we worship you and respond to you. Prepare us for the week ahead.